0: the Parental Compass, presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Wherever you get your podcasts from, please hit subscribe. You'll get notified every week when we drop the next episode. We drop them every week without fail. We're consistent here. We're definitely consistent. Outside of my work with the Parental Compass, I work with teenagers pretty much every day. And a huge issue for a lot of them can be gender identity. If you grew up when I did, gender identity wasn't a thing you really thought a lot about or were super informed on. Now as an adult, if you have a child that identifies as transgender, it can be tough to know how to offer support or for that matter how to get over your own hesitancies and biases and just personal feelings about the issue well here to get us started on navigating all of that is anna Boomgarden. anna is a registered nurse and h denaro a clinical social worker both anna and h work at the gender health clinic at mary bridges children's hospital let's hear what they have to say so it's like no one is like a hundred percent masculine or a hundred percent feminine we're all kind of somewhere in the mix of it that's my understanding of what you're saying
1: yeah yeah society has typically put you know specific um, norms and expectations on different gender identities and we're seeing especially working with youth and the younger population they want to break down those binaries right so traditional colors and roles and emotions they're not they want to break apart those and what those means in society
0: yeah i work with a lot of youth too and it's interesting thinking about when i grew up versus today. Youth today are a lot more comfortable with thinking about gender and different gender identities, but it seems like the parents or people that grew up when I did or before seem a lot less comfortable with it.
2: Yeah, and again, um, I think that what what we're seeing is um, I think that people are scared of femininity, femininity um, in terms of like if they are, if they should be a masculine person. People are scared of ultimately misogyny. So I think that that is why we see so much fear um, towards towards trans women and femininity um, along that, in that gender spectrum.
0: I think one thing I hear parents say is, well, I just don't want my child to have a tough life and I feel bad for them for that. And that kind of ties into the idea of fear too. And then it makes me think of phobia equals fear and they're all kind of tied in together. Some.
2: Right. I think, I think most parents um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, most parents want are, like care about their child. They want a good experience for their child. And when those parents were growing up, they knew that it would be a scary thing to, to be a trans person. And So ultimately, I think a lot of the um, unacceptance that we see is is just rooted in that fear that they think that their child is going to be um, not treated right throughout their life. Being gender expansive
1: isn't the, you know, that's not the scary thing. It's how society perceives that and how society treats gender expansive and trans people. That's what makes, we think parents really, Nervous when they come in and trying to access this type of care because what's that going to mean with society
0: Well, well and bigotry is a real thing too. like it does exist, you know, maybe here in Washington it's a little more accepted but there's definitely areas where it's not or I grew up in Indiana. And it's a lot less accepted there. So it is a real worry.
1: Oh, yeah. And even outside of, you know, the major cities in Washington, as progressive as, you know, we see our big cities, you get outside of that. And there's a lot of concern and and fear going into those small towns and what that means for families and trans youth. Um, and we even see what's going around the country right now. These bills and laws around the country are because of fear and bigotry.
0: Yeah. And I think too, we have to fight our own internal bigotry. Like no one wants to think of yourself as a bigot, but society can be inherently racist or homophobic or transphobic. And there might still be a little piece of that inside you. And it, it maybe is like, well, I don't want to be like that. But you have to fight to work against it. Does that make sense what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> definitely.
1: Yeah, <laughs> education-based first. That's what we mm-hmm. always say with our parents. If they want to learn, they want to know, we try to go education-based first to undo those things.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's like teaching the parent what this even means or the the science or ideas behind it
2: it's teaching the parents to unpack you know a lot of what they have learned um a lot of the misinformation that they've that they've taken as fact their whole lives so um you know 45 years of thinking one way and now your child who was assigned male at birth is coming to you and saying um, I'm a girl. That's a lot. That's a lot to untangle in a in a parent's brain. Yeah. I would say um. a
1: lot of things like that. Anna's talking about even like on the news outlets we see and things that are on the internet. They seem to be very science and fact based, but they're just they're not. They're not the right type of science um, that should be followed. And shows that like gender identity again is on a spectrum and. Even when we have our youth moving from what we say one binary box to the other, right? So sign male at birth now identifies maybe as trans feminine. Our parents maybe understand that more, but when we have like a gender fluid or more gender expansive youth where they don't want to fit into one of those boxes, now we're going to a second layer of trying to untangle, you know, societal norms and these biases that we have in our head in a different level. That's not just one or the other, which is really difficult we see for older
2: generations.
0: It can be a lot to wrap your brain around if you haven't thought about it much, for sure.
2: Uh, Definitely, yes.
0: I, I think another concern parents might have is, what if this is just a phase and then I have my child on hormones or puberty blockers and they regret that later? What's the criteria for those sort of things like hormone or puberty blockers?
2: we do a physical assessment, which includes labs. And we do um, what is called a readiness assessment. And um, H, do you want to talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about the readiness? So a readiness assessment is basically to
1: break down any barriers. We try not to make it an additional barrier, but it's to address, you know, someone's kind of gender identity journey, their support at home, their support with their peers and their social network. Um, And what we want to make sure is that when they start Um, gender-affirming care, they can stay on it as long as they want to. And we've addressed anything that would get in the way of that. Um, And it is a requirement underneath 18. That's not something that we can bypass for like estrogen or testosterone.
2: Mm -hmm. For puberty
1: blockers, sometimes we need something like that. Our clinic doesn't believe that puberty blockers, we should have that type of assessment, um, but the system
2: that we're in um, may require that or may not. So, yeah so these readiness assessments are performed by mental health providers and they're so they're they meetings done with the youth sometimes with the youth and the family and the mental health provider um they're helpful to help the youth articulate exactly you know what they what their gender identity is and how hormones or blockers might um, affirm that identity and then the final component of getting access to these therapies is parental consent so um however many um legal medical decision making parents there are um all of them need to consent so
1: we think there's a big misconception that we see in society where these youth can walk into a clinic like ours and we'll just prescribe them what they're asking for um and that just is not how it works all of our first appointments especially at our clinic are very informational and education based And we have to put all these pieces together with the youth and the families. Um, It's a really tedious process to get these medications. These youth have to be talking with a doctor more than their cisgender peers have to to get on these types of medications. Um, It's not easy to come into a clinic and talk about these things or have to go see a therapist and talk about these things all the time. Um, So it's definitely a, a process.
0: We've talked a lot about like questions and concerns and things like that. But what about just being supportive? How can you affirm your child's identity and make them feel accepted at home? Are there simple things you can do?
2: Yes. you um, Listening to your child and trusting your child um, and using their pronouns and the name that they want to use um, are huge, huge. Um, what are the statistics with the... Trevor, Trevor Project? Project. Yeah, so Trevor Project every year comes out with a
1: mental health um, survey and research that they do, which they just dropped their 2021, actually. Um, but every year the the stats are consistent that if a youth has at least one supportive person, it doesn't even have to be um, a parent or a caregiver that uses their name and pronouns, they have 40 percent chance less likely to have a serious su- suicide attempt. So now if we put that and it's a caregiver in the home, those numbers just skyrocket up. Um, And it's not even, of course, obviously we work at a medical clinic, but we often aren't the first stopping place for caregivers to come, right? Like Anna said, chosen name and pronouns and talking to them and getting them around like resources and peers that understand gender identity therapists, providers, you know, other support groups because without access to that, it can be very
2: detrimental to their mental health. And we see, and we see it, you know, anecdotally with our experiences with um, our patients. When we have patients that come in well supported by their their parents, their parents are consistently using pronouns and name. Um, the child just is um, is brighter typically, you know, and is more, um, visibly safe in their body. Um, so names and pronouns, I mean, it's, that's the single most, I think, important thing to do when you are trying to respect your child's gender identity. You know, a lot of times we hear parents saying, oh, my
1: youth needs to go to counseling or they need support. But really looking at like, as a parent or caregiver, you also need support. And how does that look so you can also learn from your peers to be the best like support system in that home that you can be for your youth
0: I think you brought up something really important which is suicide rates and suicide rates can be are higher for trans youth and so this is actually an issue of life and death potentially when you think about it yes
1: it is the difference like Anna said like our patients when they receive this gender affirming medical care not only physically can you see them happier but mentally in school i mean when we have youth that we start on this type of care whether it be puberty blockers testosterone estrogen whatever it is they need most times nine times out of ten these things don't fix everything but they'll come back and like my grades are up. I'm attending mm-hmm. this. I'm doing better at this. And they are a it's almost can be a 180 at times when they receive mm-hmm. this care. And mm-hmm. we see it all the time. It's mm-hmm. consistent. We never have somebody starting these medications and come back and feel worse than mm-hmm. before. Their mm-hmm. mental health always ticks up. And it's
2: incredible to see. It's it's so cool to see them at their, you know, at their three month and their six month follow-up after they've started these life-saving therapies, um, you know, cause they're just, they're more comfortable even, you know, for somebody let's, let's say somebody who has um, bad voice dysphoria and then they start on testosterone. Well, guess what? In three months, they're going to be talking to you a lot more than, than they did before because they, they identify more with their voice. So it's, it's cool to see their um, it's, it's cool to see the good outcomes.
0: Well, and you also spoke about chosen name, explain that concept.
1: There's a big, um, we're trying to take out the term preferred name and preferred pronouns, because what that opens up for people is, right, if I say, for example, oh, I prefer they and then that's opening up people to use whatever pronouns they want to use for me. So if we use the term chosen name and pronouns or take the name chosen out and just say, what are your name and pronouns? we're honoring what that person wants to be called for their name and pronouns it's not an option when somebody tells you their name and pronouns it's not an option if you want to use them that's what the expectation is and that's a sign of respect and support
0: Mm, this is my name yeah Mm -hmm. what about just extended family because you might be on board and you've done your own learning but then you come to thanksgiving and your grandparents are still using the old name or the old pronouns or the uncle just totally doesn't get it. Like, how do you navigate that?
1: Uh, It's hard when you use different names and you use a different pronoun than maybe what your uncle or your grandparents um, know of, or just, you know, we hear a lot, like, it's just too hard. I can't figure it out. What happens a lot is uh, gender expansive people pull away from those family members. You know, that's hard to do when you're 13, 14, 15. But eventually they create that distance um, and create something called chosen family, which are not blood family. And you put yourself around people who do respect you and love you and those people who don't get weeded out. Um, And that is just the reality of the situation because it's triggering and it's not fun to go to those things and it feels bad.
2: Why would you keep doing that to yourself if you don't feel good about it? And I think, yeah, and I think as the, as the parent in this situation, it is so important for the parent to be advocating for, you know, Uncle Larry to be using the right pronouns and the right name, Um, because you need to model, number one, for your child, that it's okay to advocate for yourself and that you are trusted. Um, And number two, for Uncle Larry, you know, to, to um, re- Um, ground the fact that this is not appropriate or okay and just like H said you'll lose us you know and you'll lose our relationship.
0: I think that's one really scary part of it all is the idea of losing family members or that's difficult for a lot of people.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean trans youth are are better when they have their family supporting them you know everybody can you know A lot of times trans youth, when you put their caregivers around them that are supporting them, their life is going to be better. That's the goal. Um, And we have to be able to understand how to get to that point. And if you're advocating only for your youth at home, but then you go to these family events and you're not kind of showing up like Anna said what what trust is
2: that right it has to be all the time and I just I want to say one more thing about that Um, in regards to safety and being around extended family that might not be safe Um, it's also important to talk to your child about who can I use your name and pronouns in front of Um, is it because I'm going to essentially out you as a trans or gender diverse person? if I use these name and pronouns, is that okay? Can I use them at school? Can I use them talking to your friends, your sports teams? Um, So it's good to kind of lay that groundwork, especially for these um, maybe unsupportive extended family situations.
0: Are there ways you can teach children to advocate for themselves because that's really hard to correct someone on your pronouns?
2: I think modeling that advocacy is huge because your your child will see, okay, my parent is is voicing my truth for me and um you know, if they can do it, maybe I can kind of thing. Making sure that the parent is advocating for the child behind the scenes so that that child can get that positive reinforcement with teachers using their pronouns, you know, and um, other adults in their life.
1: Yeah, I mean, being a teenager is already hard enough, let alone having to correct all the adults around you, name Mm -hmm. and pronouns, right? We talk about school, like, if you're getting misgendered and your name isn't being used, well, you're probably not going to pay attention to that teacher in class. And now your grade's probably going to be bad. But we that's the least of their concerns. So advocating as a teenager in the world we live in right now is difficult. So finding people that can support you in that so you're not alone is extremely important.
0: Well, this is a fascinating and important conversation. Do you have any closing thoughts you want to leave our audience with?
1: Talk to your, talk to your kids, talk to your teenagers. If they're expressing that they're feeling stressed about something with their gender identity, don't wait, start when they start talking to you, because it is a li- it can be life-saving. Um, it is life-saving. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for being here today.
1: <laughs> Thank
2: <laughs> you. Thank you, Bobby.
0: <laughs> Thank you, H and Anna. You're having an important impact on so many young people and families' lives. We appreciate you. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace!